the closing section on suffering. When the church went out all over the world, uh, this message was so joyous, so glorious, it was, they, they, they called it by this wonderful phrase that we now take for granted, but they didn't know how to describe this message. They called it good news. The word gospel means good news. That is actually in itself amazing, isn't it? That's how they describe this message. It's good news. So the gospel went out as this explosion of growth and movement, but it turned out that people didn't receive it as such. People opposed it. People rejected it. Uh, the church has experienced a lot of difficulties. And we now look back and realize this is part of God's plan. This is part of God's plan. But I want to just briefly say that the church over time, looking back from this perspective, has not always understood like, how to talk about persecution. So there were people who, uh, to this day, people who say persecution is essentially something uh, associated with the end of times. Uh, when I say the impending parousia, that means that's a word for the return of Christ in theology. It's a, it's a Greek word for Christ's glorious return. So the, uh, the parousia is coming, the, the return of Christ is coming, and at that point in time, then a persecution will come. And a lot of uh, books like the Left Behind series and a lot of other popular books have really propagated this idea that at the end of time, there'll be heightened persecution. And it's associated with like the tribulation is a great example of that. Of course, that's, that's true, but is that all there is? There's also a group on the other end of the spectrum that says, no, 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 uh, persecution happened back then, especially uh, from the time of Christ. Uh, resurrection book of Acts until the year 313. That's when you had the famous uh, edict of toleration by Constantine where Christianity was no longer persecuted and eventually a few decades later Christian became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so the idea is that oh it's about people back then in the first a few centuries. And that is also and I think that's a particularly in the popular consciousness. If you ask Christians about persecution they they have in their minds like, you know, people in their, the arena, you know, in Rome and the lions being let out and all of that. Perpetua holding her baby. Uh, you know, these are some very graphic images of the early church that are there. A third uh, view is that this is something that takes place um, in the majority world. That is to say in the, um, the, the world outside the West, in Asia, for example, or the Middle East. Um, this is something that doesn't involve the Western world. If you look at the writings on persecution, you would not believe how many times it says something like, well, we in the West don't know anything about persecution. Uh, something that, you know, if you just could get to India, you could really see it there. Or in China, you know, it's always about somebody else out there, not about people in, you know, your part of the world. So that's, that's the question. Well, is that true? Is that the world, the state of persecution? Is it about Something happens in China and India, but not the Western world. This is something the church has not always known what to do. Uh, fourthly, there is the other end of the perspective that this is really like everything is persecution. I had this happen to me just this week, actually. I was in an office on our campus, and in the office they, uh, during the night or sometime at some point, a mouse died. 
like in the ceiling tiles or in the wall. They, they, they can't find it, actually. The physical plant came in and did like a little search around, couldn't find it. But a mouse has died, and it slowly pervaded into the room a very horrible smell. It got so bad, she's vacated the office until like things get better. <laughs> but they couldn't like locate the body. So they're looking, they're looking at the body, and they have like half the physical plant in there, like moving tiles, looking, checking tiles. No, no body can be found. So, which is just, that's just what you know, that's happened. Like, but I love the fact that what she said to me, though, the, the, the woman that's in the office said to me, she said, you know, I'm under persecution. <laughs> uh, my work has been impeded. Okay, I thought, wow, that's interesting. You know, I'm coming down to, to uh, Orlando's because persecution. Here's an example of it. Um, Deadly pinpricks, you know, you go into, you're, you're going to visit someone in the hospital and you can't find a parking lot, parking space. You know, it's the devil. <laughs> He's after me. There's no parking space here. You know, or if you find a parking space, you know, God is obviously with me because there's a parking space in front of Macy's. Really? <laughs> I mean, the mouse might have just died. You know, <laughs> you know, whatever. But you know, we, we can like, make it into like every circumstance, you know, in life is like a, per- a persecution as well. And finally, there is the idea that persecution is limited to very small group that refers to particular to uh, martyrs that have, they give their life for the gospel. Roman Catholics have a whole do- doctrine of this, you know, where they said people that get martyred, not baptized, they've been baptized in blood and therefore they, they're a special group or look at Revelation interpreted that these people are those who have given their life for the gospel. And that's really the only group that we can actually say is persecuted if you give your life. And, they, and it's interesting because in the, Bible, in the New Testament, there's these two you know, texts. One where Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And this is interpreted as, you know, die, follow him in death. You know, you follow, Jesus died on the cross, so do you. And that's like a call to a certain group. Remember in, uh, in Luke's gospel, in Luke 9.23, it's actually worded differently. He says, take your cross daily and follow me. In some way, the church has never really figured that out. You know, what does it mean to follow Jesus in the way of death and be willing to give your life for Jesus? And there are so many examples of that. We, we should honor those. And look at the book, the Fox's Book of Martyrs that actually has a whole, you know, history of helping the church remember those who gave their life for us and for the faith. But there are others who say, well, taking Christ daily means all the daily ways we bear the burden of being his proclaimers of the gospel. So in summary, the church has not really, uh, I think, really come to grips with this in a way that I think makes sense, actually. And so I'm actually defining persecution as, you know, various kinds of hostile acts, unjust discriminations by individuals or groups, it could be religious or political, which are primarily done in response to someone's Christian beliefs or actions throughout history and throughout the experience of the whole church. I believe that we don't, we don't want to minimize it, but I believe that we should recognize that persecution is viewed in the New Testament as normative. All Christians should understand that persecution is part of your expectation, and we have not done that very well at all. And we have uh, had time to develop this. You could, I could show you throughout the book of Acts how the church saw that their persecution was the way they bore their identity with Christ. They saw persecution as the way that they um, actually 
would live into the end times. They actually did believe that at the end of time that persecution would increase. And uh, so that is also there in the New Testament. Um, they believe that the church actually represents Christ in the world. Therefore, the church should always mirror Christ's sufferings in the world. All of these things are there. There's a very, very great theology of suffering in the New Testament. In conclusion, I wanted to say that I, was, uh, I arrived in India this past summer, and in part it was to have a closed-door um, conference. I can't say where it was or who was involved, but it was a conference on persecution. And the purpose of the conference was to bring together Christian Indian leaders to talk about what they're experiencing today in India since the rise of, of Modi, who is the current prime minister of India. He belongs to one of these radical Hindu sects called RSS. And they, are, they have actually have a manifesto which shows their plan to eradicate Christianity by the year 2021 from India. And they have a lot of activity. Uh, we, we, we saw in the last 18 months a church that had 100 people in the church were run outside of the church, forced out by these radicals, stripped naked, which is a huge shameful thing in that, especially in that context, and made to watch their church burn to the ground, their building. We have seen churches where the uh, on the altar up front where the, where the cross is, they tore the crosses down and put up a Hindu god. The god Hanuman has been put up on the altars of the churches in India. We have seen um, examples of uh, you know, pastors being beaten. Uh, there was a national-wide news of this dear nun, an elderly nun that was raped in India and with impunity, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. So this is a real, you know, living challenge for Christians around the world. And we should uh, see this, you know, in its context. Uh, but I think also if you were to come and put the mirror back here, and one of the things I learned in talking to the Indians is they don't think that their persecution, that their experience is unusual. I, I, this is just what it means to be a Christian in North India. It's not happening much in South India, but North India. But they say, they look at your situation and say, I, had, I, had, I was actually in five continents this summer, on five continents. I told 60,000 miles on, my, on the airplane, on Delta, and their partners. And they, um, wherever I went, people said to me things like, oh, you know, we were really praying for you. This is after the Supreme Court decision had just come out. I was actually in the Philippines when it came out about the uh, same-sex marriage thing, you know. And they actually see us as the recipients of their prayers, that we'd be able to stand firm in our context against our own challenges that we have. And so there's many ways that you get persecuted besides being beaten up. There are many other ways. You get marginalized or you get, in some ways, you know, chomped out of the conversation or you know, caricatured in various ways. And so this is something that we believe it's important for Christians to recognize that the church and the Bible shows that this is normal. This is what it means to be faithful to Christ in any time, any place. It just manifests itself differently. That's the point. It just comes about differently. It takes different shapes and forms, but it all is something there. And we should never, ever believe that uh, we would be in a place where we would not share in the sufferings of Christ. It's part of the nature of the church itself.